Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Mainline, where we seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Philadelphia's historic mainline and surrounding communities. Every week, we look again to the story of the Bible, the lavish grace of God revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website, libertymainline.org. <laughs> Hello, Liberty Mainline Church. It's good to see you. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here, uh, and we are continuing our worship service. This summer, we're looking at parables of Jesus. This is a little bit longer one, so if you're following along, you'll see that it continues over onto the next page in your worship folder. But as we listen to this, I invite you to hear this as the very living word of the living God who is always present at work and speaking to us. This is God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Then the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them, indeed, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their, with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what is sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word, for the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This is the gospel 
of the Lord. Thanks to you, O Christ. Let us pray for understanding this passage. Our Lord and God, even as uh, the storm clouds are around us and the rain is coming down this morning, so also as we come to hear you, there are many of us who feel like we have storms in our lives. And we thank you for the reminder from nature that uh, sometimes that is the necessary step to bring forth the rain that causes things to grow in our lives that are actually good and necessary. Father, for whatever circumstance each of us may be experiencing this morning, I pray that ultimately you would be the one who gives us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Thank you that you do speak to us and tell us of your great love and care for us in the person of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. One of the great ironies of the modern world is that we have so much communication technology. I was actually, uh, just before the service, I was realizing that in my pocket, I have the ability to call anywhere on the earth, anywhere on the world, to look up almost any piece of information that I want to. In fact, even if everything went out, I could technically probably contact a satellite from my phone. That's pretty amazing. And yet, at the same time that we have all of this communication technology, the great irony is that we are becoming collectively, largely, less and less able to listen well. Whether it's educators or sociologists, the general consensus is that we are getting worse at communicating with each other and hearing other people well. In fact, we have whole classes of people who often serve us by simply sitting and listening to us and helping us tease out even what's going on in our own hearts and minds. Our passage this morning actually flags for us that the struggle to hear the things that are most important is not only a modern phenomenon. It's actually part of the human condition, and it feels like it's gotten worse recently, and yet it's something that continues to dog men and women throughout history. And that's why Jesus has this uh, parable that he gives for us this morning. This summer, we're looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Uh, if you haven't heard that term before, parable is just a, a name for a short story or illustration that is often drawn from the natural world. And that it's a teaching device that Jesus used regularly. Chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel collects several of those together. We've looked at a couple of them already this summer. But the chapter actually begins with this, what we could call a master parable that in many ways unlocks the others. Uh, In the Gospel of Mark, when it recounts this particular story, Mark adds the detail that Jesus told his confused disciples that if they didn't understand this parable, they wouldn't be able to understand any of them. So we're actually going to explore in a little bit more depth uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. So this morning, we're going to look at a couple parts of the parable, the seed and the sower, And then next week, we'll focus on the soil. So there may be some questions you have for today, which we'll get to next week. But for today, we have the seed and the sower. As we uh, jump into this parable, take a moment to appreciate the challenge of it for those who first heard it. Our familiarities, as some of us, if we've been in church for a while, if we've studied the Bible for a while, some of us... Uh, As a result, we hear these stories and we think, oh, this is simple. This is easy. We know this story. We know what it's about. Jesus explained it. Let's move on. But we can miss how deeply ambiguous the parable is 
on its own, which is how the crowds and the disciples first heard it. It really is a strange story. Jesus has this opportunity to teach, and so he tells the story about a farmer sowing seed, and lots of it's wasted, and some of it is abundantly fruitful. There's no obvious immediate aha insight. There's not like a debate clincher that wins the argument. It's not a joke. There's no punchline. And it's certainly not a manual for ancient farming practice. In fact, has confused many uh, later interpreters. Wouldn't plowing have helped the situation? Why is the farmer wasting so much of his seed? Who's ever heard of such enormous crops? On its own, the parable was and is a head scratcher especially when we think of the situation in which Jesus said this is the big thing I need to teach right now he is actually so thronged by crowds that he's borrowed a boat to use as a stage in order to address a coastline covered with people and it's this huge gathering and Jesus decides to tell kind of an enigmatic story It's a strange use of what seems like a great public relations opportunity. What is he up to? Thankfully, we have not only the story, but we have Jesus' explanation of it. So first, the seed. In verse 19, Jesus explains this is the word of the kingdom, a shorthand for what God is doing in the world to make right everything that's wrong. What God's doing in the world to make right what everything is wrong with his good creation. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus as a teacher and a preacher. After his baptism, his first act of ministry is to proclaim a message, to change, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, he put such a high premium on teaching and preaching that there were times when he had hugely popular ministries of healing. People were coming to him, crowding around him, and he would shut that down in order to relocate to another place and refocus on talking to people, telling people about who God is and what God's doing in the world. In this chapter, every other parable is introduced with the formula, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And many of them are drawn from agricultural imagery. Now, there's a few reasons why that's not at all surprising, right? That composed much of the everyday life of his listeners and was often used as abundant material for illustrating spiritual truths. In fact, many of Jesus' contemporaries would have used stories like this in the same way. But what is surprising about what Jesus teaches, especially in comparison to other people from the time, is where he puts the kingdom in what we could call the agricultural process. Okay? Sowing happens at the beginning of the agricultural process. It's sowing time, seed time. But most of Jesus' contemporaries were eagerly expecting not seed time, but harvest time. So if you were a religiously oriented Jew, like the Pharisees, you were looking forward to God separating people, right? Vindicating the righteous who had suffered, right? Saying, you did well. I know it was hard, but you did well. And then separating them out and purging them of kind of immoral, irreligious undesirables, 
politically oriented Jews were looking forward to God restoring a glorious kingdom, kicking out the oppressors and bringing them back to a new golden age, restoring their national hopes and national pride. And we see those expectations even among Jesus' followers. So their question at the beginning of Acts, after Jesus' resurrection, they're like, wow, you're back from the dead. That's amazing and fantastic. Do we now get to kick the Romans out? Do you restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus says, no, that's not the plan. In fact, John the Baptist, the person who uh, was ministering right before Jesus, is perhaps the clearest example of what we could call the harvest expectation. In his ministry, he picked up a common image of God's judgment, chopping down trees. And he warned the crowds, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Now, he may have been thinking uh, of the image of an axe sort of like leaned against the tree, set up the tools there, ready for the, day, the work of the day. Or he might have in his mind that the, the foresters actually standing there with the axe, drawing back the swing to take a cut at the root of the tree. Either way, for John, he was excited about what God was doing because he was waiting for and eager for the day of God's judgment, for the separation to begin, for God's people to be separated from all the people around them who, uh, or among them who, caught, who they felt caused the struggles and problems of their lives and of their country. And that explains John's confusion when later in his life, towards the end of his life, he's in prison. So he sends messengers to Jesus who ask him, are you the one, Jesus, or should we look for somebody else? John had said, the one who comes after me is the one who's going to bring the judgment. And so he's waiting for Jesus to swing the axe, right? He's, effectively, he's asking, Jesus, I'm still sitting in prison. And there's a really immoral leader on the throne who has me here. And he's supported by these foreign rulers. Feel free to spring me out of here anytime. Let's start wielding the axe. But that by telling a parable of sowing, Jesus says in a very jarring way for many of his listeners and for many of us, if we're eager for God to show up and do something in our lives, it's not harvest time yet. Jesus also highlights two radical differences between his kingdom and the common expectations of earthly kingdoms and powers. Jesus' kingdom works on a radically different timeline and out of a radically different power. So, timeline. The timeline of a seed is really slow. You can't rush a seed. Right? If you plant seeds, for a while you're not even going to see any shoots. There might be some roots growing, but they're under the surface. You can't see them. But that it's doing something that's indispensable to the later growth and flourishing of that plant or tree. And then in the same way, the power of Jesus' kingdom is radically different from earthly kingdoms and powers. It's the power of a seed. A seed doesn't seem very impressive, right? Some of them are incredibly tiny, right? 
If you ate a piece of fruit last week or this morning for breakfast, you may have thrown a bunch of seeds away. When you step on an acorn on the sidewalk, it might crack open. When you plant seeds in a garden, you don't say, Bob's away, right? That's not what we do. They're not threatening, powerful uh, in many ways that we think of those things. But if a seed meets the right conditions of soil, water, sunlight, and time, an acorn can become an oak tree that you could not move without incredible help. And that may very well outlive you. It doesn't seem impressive, but a seed contains within itself enormous potential and power. So a few years ago, uh, before Russia started invading neighboring countries, Rebecca and I had the opportunity to visit Moscow. And in Moscow, there's the, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, the notiv- uh, the Novodevichy Cemetery. And it's a uh, cemetery where they have buried famous Russians. Now, interesting cultural contra- contrast, American seminar- cemeteries, we treat them like mowed lawns, right, usually. Uh, but in Russian cemeteries, they often just let things grow. And so we're in this cemetery, and it was quite common to see uh, not only trees, uh, or sorry, not only bushes or plants, but to see trees that had grown up and were 100 or 150 years old because they cracked through the stone slabs of um, people who have been buried 150 years ago or 100 years ago. Something so small that you wouldn't notice it, that you could crush it, but given the right conditions, it had the power to grow up through and crack stone. Jesus says that the kingdom, the word of the kingdom is like that. And if it is planted in us and has the opportunity to go deep and penetrate our lives and then grow It can bring life out of death like those trees grow up out of the cemetery. That's why many of us, though, the the time scale and the nature of the power of God's word and his kingdom, that's why many of us are sometimes discontented or disappointed with our lives, even if we are followers of Jesus, because we resent the timeline and power of his kingdom. It's very very slow. Some of us are thinking, why am I still where I'm at? I had the opportunity to try to disassemble a part of my fridge and last, just last night. And um, whenever I have those opportunities, I am reminded of how quickly I get angry and frustrated and annoyed as if there should never be problems in my life and things I need to fix or clean, right? We want quick fixes with guaranteed results. Five easy steps to getting the love of our life, the job of our dreams, the house and lifestyle we want. And we want an axe that can chop away everything that stands between us and our desires, whether those are frustrating circumstances, inconvenient people, struggles with our health, embarrassing struggles we may have with our own sin and defective characters. We want God to wield the axe so we can get on with our lives. But instead, Jesus is planting seeds and waiting and watching for them to grow. Why? 
Well, an ax seems like a quick fix, but it's only doing one thing, right? The ax can only stop life and take it away. It can never make life. And that's what God is about in the kingdom. As we heard earlier in our service, Peter says in his first letter, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. New life takes time to take root, flourish, and grow. Time and favorable conditions, which is why so much of the emphasis of this parable falls not only on the sowing, or as Jesus does, the preaching or teaching, but also on the necessity of listening and hearing. Do you see how Jesus begins? Verse 3, listen. How does he end? Verse 9, let anyone with ears listen. And then that section in verses 10 to 17, which is a little complicated and we'll talk about next week in more detail, is all about either listening, hearing, and understanding or not. In a sermon on this passage, New York City pastor Tim Keller put it like this. Earthly kingdoms always come through coercion and force. They never come through just hearing. Earthly leaders almost always are great at getting a hearing, or we could say forcing a hearing, but the kingdom of God comes to people who are good at giving a hearing, at listening. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven works at a deep level. It takes root and grows and changes and transforms through listening. And why is that? Because in listening, we hear about the sower. At the beginning of the parable, Jesus is a little vague about who this figure is. But in verse 37, he clarifies and identifies himself as the sower using his preferred way to refer to himself during his ministry as the son of man. And Jesus has come proclaiming good news. Jesus is the sower and the word of the kingdom is first and foremost a word about the king who brings the kingdom. And Jesus comes not just as a herald like John the Baptist, but as the heir and prince himself. And the parable of the sower provides an incredible picture of Jesus' gracious, gracious invitation that sets his kingdom apart from all others. The message is an entirely upside-down message. It turns conventional wisdom about power and priority on its head because of who the sower, who the king is. He's a farmer. He's, in modern day uh, experience, a gardener. And he spreads his word widely, generously, almost wastefully. Because he wants all kinds of people from all over the world to hear who God is and what he's doing and how he's changing and making right the things that are wrong about the world and about us. Not by force, not by coercion, but by invitation. That's why at Liberty, we often describe our mission as seeking to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for the main line. Because Jesus is the sower, and now the way that Jesus sows is through us as individuals and the relationships that we have and as a church community, making him known where he's put us. 
Jesus is a gardener king, not a conqueror king. But at the same time, Jesus isn't just the sower. In fact, in another place, Jesus relates himself to another part of the story. In the Gospel of John, another time, Jesus says of himself, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Essentially, John the Baptist was not entirely wrong. When Jesus came, it was sowing time, but it was also still harvest time, too. It wasn't going to be a straightforward purge of getting one side separated from another, of the good people being celebrated and the bad people getting uh, uh, exiled. But the acts of God's judgment did not fall on us. It fell on him. He accepted death itself in order that like a seed falling into the ground, he could bring forth life in you and in me. He might free us to repent of our sins because those sins have been buried with him in his death. Free to live humbly like the king who comes as a simple farmer. Free to live lives of service to others out of gratitude for Jesus' own life of service and sacrifice and death for us. Jesus is sowing the seed of the gospel. So be careful. Let us hear it well. May he help us hear it well. Because his timeline will sometimes frustrate us. We may often long to see greater results in ourselves especially. But let the word of Jesus dwell deeply within you. For the more that Jesus' death for you seeps into your life and penetrates your heart, he will work in you and in us to make us abundantly fruitful for him. This is the gospel of the Lord in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for Jesus who came among us and who has made known your heart for us. Father, we pray that you'd help these things to seep into our lives. It's so easy for us and our attention to get shifted and for us to listen to so many other voices, to be caught up with the own, our own voices in our head. Father, help us to hear you and the word that you give us of Jesus as the one who comes humbly among us, who gives his life for us so that in his death we might experience life. And we pray that you give us grace to experience this good news and for it to grow in us. And may you make us fruitful for you and for Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that either through or in spite of the human messenger, you heard the gracious invitation of God to the abundant life of love and service found in the transforming person and work of Jesus. If you've been encouraged by this podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, or subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, check us out at libertymainline.org.